Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. For our Lenten series, Jesus Alone, we'll be spending the time in Mark, looking at how Jesus interacts with those close to him. In this particular sermon, we look at Jesus' reaction to his family. Why does Jesus respond that way? What is he trying to teach us about ourselves and about himself? You're listening to Jesus and the Family by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 3. I'm reading a, a split story. It's really one story with another put in the middle. That's something Mark does actually quite a lot in his Gospel. So I'm reading verses 3, 20, and 21. Then we'll skip down to verse 31 and read verses 31 to 35. As we do every year during the season of Lent, um, we are following Jesus to the cross. And this year we're going to do that in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the interesting things you see as you read through the Gospel of Mark is that on his way to the cross, as he does his ministry, Mark is very careful to show us Jesus interacting with different human institutions and powers. Um, Institutions and powers that are a very important part of all our lives, like the family, like religious leaders, like the government. And in each of these encounters, we learn something about the way that Jesus interacts with those institutions. So we're going to look at those encounters, and we're going to ask ourselves, are they positive or negative? Uh, Do these institutions get in Jesus' way, or do they support him? And hopefully, as we look at those interactions, we'll learn something about our own relationship with those institutions, and more importantly, in our relationship with Jesus. Let's read, today's the family, and let's read this story of of Jesus in an encounter with his family. And then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Then the teachers of the law show up. There's an encounter where they accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. And then the story resumes with the arrival of the family. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my brother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. So I think it's a truism that every church wants to be family friendly, right? Every church I've ever seen, every church I've ever known, every church I've ever been part of, bends over backward, makes every effort to be family-friendly and to send the message to families like, you are welcome here. Your kids are valued here. We are going to make this a great place for you and your family because everybody wants young families as part of their church. And the grave's no different. I was talking to Bob earlier this week, and pre-pandemic, he said we had 130 people, so 130 of you, we're volunteering in our youth programs to make families feel welcome and formed here at LaGrave. Every church wants to be family friendly. 
And that's why it's jarring to go through the Gospels and read what Jesus says and what happens when he comes in contact with the family. Churches may always be accommodating to families, but Jesus' relationship with families is, is more complicated, like in our story. Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry, but he's been preaching long enough that he's got a reputation, right? Crowds are starting to follow him, and he's also got controversy following him. The teachers of the law are already pushing against him. He's, uh, he's questioned their observance of Sabbath. He's claimed for himself the right to forgive sins. And that's made them really angry, and they're starting to say things like he's out of his mind or even he's possessed by a demon. Well, his family hears about this, and they come to take charge of him. Now, what does that mean? Perhaps it means something like an intervention. They're going to take him off to Pine Rest for evaluation. So they come to the house. The house is packed. Jesus is inside. He's teaching. He's in the living room, big living room, and the, the place is just full of people, jammed. And every one of them is leaning forward, and their faces are fixed on Jesus. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom, and people are hanging on his every word. Their faces are bright and attentive. The room is electric with his presence. It's an absolutely amazing moment. And all of a sudden, into that intimate, beautiful moment, the owner of the house steps into the circle and says, excuse, so, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, everyone, I'm, I'm really sorry, but Jesus, um, it's your mother. She's outside, and I think your brothers are with her, and they told me to tell you that they, they want you to come right now. That's a weighty summons. In that culture, the authority of mothers and fathers and family was very, very, very strong, right? Stronger than it is even in our culture. Very strong. Honor thy father and my mother. That is not just any old commandment. That's one of the ten. And if you go through a book like the book of Proverbs, dozens of times there are these injunctions to listen to your mother and listen to your father. Proverbs 1 verse 8, arguably the very first Proverbs spoken in, in the whole corpus of the Proverbs says this, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 10 verse 1, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. So, so when mom and the brothers show up and summon Jesus, tremendous weight in this summons. Everybody in that culture would absolutely expect that Jesus would go with his mother. But Jesus does not go. Jesus stops in the middle of his talk, looks at all the faces gathered around him and says, mothers, brothers, here are my mothers and my brothers, the people who do the will of my father. They are my mothers and my brothers. It is an astonishing word and it is an astonishing refusal. And it paints Mark paints this very vividly, a, a rather shocking picture. You have the inside of the house where all these people are Jesus' new family, he calls them brothers and sisters, and his nuclear family outside the house knocking on the door and turned away. And it'd be one thing if this is the only time Jesus does or says things like this, but it's not. All through the Gospels, Jesus seems to build a little distance between himself and the institution of the family. It's undeniable. Matthew 10. 
Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to this earth. No, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be the member of his own household. That doesn't sound family-friendly. Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left behind houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, or wife, or children, or fields, will receive a hundred times as much and will receive eternal life. And then there's Luke 9, where a man wants to follow Jesus. He asks, can I please first go back and say goodbye to my family? And Jesus says, nope. Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And there are more passages, but I think I've quoted enough of them. What is going on here? Is Jesus anti-family? Is Jesus not family friendly? Why does Jesus say these things that seem to build space between what he's doing and the institution of family? Let me start by saying what I think, I hope is the obvious in answer to that question. Jesus is not anti-family. He's not. The family is a good institution created, ordered, and blessed by God. God created it even before the fall came. Adam is on his own. He's lonely. It's not good. God creates Eve. He says to both of them, be fruitful and multiply, and the family is created. It's a good institution made by God. And then when human beings fall, what does God do? Who does he call in order to start the process of redemption? He calls a family, right? Abraham's family. Through your family, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. You go and look at the law of Moses. There's all kinds of laws for the support of the family and the continuance of the family. You read the psalmist. The psalmist says sons and daughters are a heritage from the Lord. So clearly in scripture, the family is a good thing. It's a good institution. And it's an institution that is chiefly in scripture charged to do two things. Families do all sorts of things, but these are two central things that families are charged to do. First, formation. We grow up in our nuclear families as young kids. We're at that age where we're super impressionable, right? From the time you come to consciousness to the time you leave your family home, those are the most impressionable years of your life. So what your family does with you while you're in the family home, enormously formative. The way they talk, the way they do conflict, the habits they keep, the stories they tell. They are a powerful tool to shape who you will become. And that is why, because that, that nuclear family home is so enormously formative when you read scripture, formation of one another is always put front and center, Deuteronomy 6. God says to Moses, these laws that I'm giving you today, tell them to your children. These stories of what I've done in your life, tell them to your children. Tell them as you walk along the road and write them on the doorposts. Of, form each other with these stories. Proverbs 22, 6. Start a child off in the way they should go. Get them involved in the right things. Get them involved in the right habits. And they will not depart from your way when they get older. So God created our families first for formation of one another. 
The second thing the family is for is intimacy. Families have a special kind of intimacy. We're more open. We have a relationship with people in our nuclear family that is different. We, we relate to them in a different way. There's a kind of openness that is actually a kind of vulnerability. And you can hear this in the way we talk to our families on the phone. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. I'm going to give you two phone calls, okay? Two phone calls. And you say, oh, tell me if you can decide which one of these two is talking to a family member. Okay, here's the first phone call number one. Hello? Oh, hi. It's so good to hear from you. How are you doing? Yeah? Oh, so good to talk. Yeah. Tuesday. Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. I can't come Tuesday. Oh, that would have been so much fun. We'll have to do it another time. Okay, goodbye. That's phone call number one. Phone call number two. Hello? Oh, hi. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, no. Tuesday? No way. No, I got a meeting. No, no. Yeah, of course, you're right. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Look, I'm really busy. We're going to talk later. <laughs> which, which of those is family, right? We all know. You listen to people on the other end, you know when they're talking to family. What's going on there? The second phone call, there's no, there's no politeness. The veneer, the honeyed veneer of niceness is sort of a way, and your feelings are right wide open for the other person. There's a kind of vulnerability with that, right? What you're feeling, what you're thinking, it's right open there. And when that vulnerability is there, what we, what we put into that vulnerability then becomes enormously powerful. If into that vulnerability we put kindness, patience, love, encouragement, something fruitful goes. If into that vulnerability we put neglect, anger, control, terrible things happen. So the family is good, and when it's working the way it's supposed to, really wonderful things happen. And that's why when I look around, I see many wonderful families here. It's an amazing institution of incredible strength. And that is precisely why Jesus says hard things about it. It's because the family is so good that Jesus challenges it and puts a little distance between himself and the family. Because when a created thing is really good, it makes a really good idol. That's what an idol is, right? A good created thing that is put in the place that properly belongs to God. And the better and stronger a thing is, and a family is really good, the stronger the idol is. Is family sometimes raised up to be an idol? Historically, absolutely. Think of ancestor worship, right? Many traditional societies, what do they do? They do ancestor worship. Traditional Chinese religion is ancestor worship. You make sacrifices to your ancestors. You have shrines to your ancestors. You appease your ancestors. Family is an idol. What about modern American culture, our culture? Is the family ever an idol in our culture? Not in that traditional Chinese way, but absolutely it is. Absolutely. As religious devotion has waned, family, for many, many people, is their object of ultimate concern. And there is nothing that you would not and should not do for your family. For your family, you would give your life, your soul, your all, and that is absolutely appropriate. It is the foundation of everything you do. Let me say this. Family is a wonderful and good institution, 
It's a great support, but it makes a lousy foundation. Families are great support, but they make a lousy foundation because families are made up of human beings and human beings will fail you. They will let you down. Despite their best intentions, they will let you down. Families make a great support, great tool for God's work, but they make a lousy foundation. The only true and lasting and unshakable foundation is the one we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus says these hard things about family so that you will put your feet on his solid rock and stand there. We said the family is about formation. The family is an assistant to formation, but Jesus is the foundation to formation. We all have this person that we know we are supposed to be. Every day we have a sense that we could be better than we are. It's like there's this person just a little bit out of our reach that we're always trying to be, and we never quite get to that person. Jesus is so committed to us becoming that person that he died on the cross. He shed his blood to wash away our sin. He rose from the dead to break the power that holds us. And he is constantly, he will not rest until we become that person. Colossians 3, that person already exists. You died and your true self, that one you want to be, is hidden with God in Christ. That true self already exists and Jesus is pulling you towards that self and the Holy Spirit's behind pushing you and he will make you the person you are meant to be. Jesus, the family is an assist, a support for, foundation, for formation. Jesus is the foundation for formation. Jesus is also the foundation for intimacy and love. When you belong to Jesus and have a relationship with him, your relationship with him is closer than any human being. You, when, you, when you are constantly talking to Jesus, you are telling him things that you don't tell anyone else, including your siblings, your mother, your spouse, anybody. All your feelings, all your thoughts, all your worries, all your anger, all your joy is open before the face of Jesus. It's the most intimate relationship of your life. And as you pour that out to him, he is constantly saying to you, you are my beloved. You belong to my father. Don't be afraid a foundational intimacy that cannot move. Jesus is the foundation of formation, the foundation of intimacy. And when you put your feet on him, you are able to love your family better. Okay, what we're saying here and what Jesus is saying is not that you should, you know, not love your mom so much and try to love your dad a little less and please don't care quite so much about your children. That's not what we're saying. But when your foundation is on Jesus, you are better able to love those people in freedom instead of anxiety. Because if you think that your family love is the foundation of your kid's well-being or of your brother's well-being or of your mother's well-being, that is a crushing weight. You're a human being. You can't bear that weight. You can't be the foundation of another human being. There's only one who can be the foundation, Jesus. So with your feet on him, you're free to love those people in a different way, in a freer way, in a better way. If your life is founded on Jesus, it's easier to forgive your parents for their imperfections. Maybe you had a dad who was not very attentive, did not give you what you needed from a father. If your family's your foundation, that's a tragedy you cannot overcome. But if you belong to Jesus, you can learn to forgive your dad and love him in spite of himself. 
If your family life is founded on Jesus, you're free from the tyranny of perfect parenting. That is absolutely a thing today that every parent feels, the tyranny of perfect parenting. The message you get from our society is you better get everything exactly right. You better expose your kids to the right things. You better send them to the right schools. You better give them the right food. You better make sure that nothing bad ever comes to their door, right? And you are judged if you fall short, right? And you feel that pressure. But if you think it's all up to you, you're going to be crushed. Your child does not belong to you. It may be, your child may be the the chief work of your life that God calls you to do, but your child does not belong to you. Your child belongs to Jesus. You are not your child's savior. Jesus is your child's savior. And when you stand on his foundation, you are better able to love him or love her. If Jesus is your foundation, you also have a place to stand if your family falls completely apart. Because that happens too. Instead of formation, instead of intimacy, you get control and abuse and anger and everything goes to pieces. There's nothing you're getting from your family that's giving you any kind of life-giving spirit. But if you are founded on Jesus, you have this family. And you have a father who does not move and a brother who will never leave your side. And he says to you every day, do not be afraid, you are mine. When we are founded on Jesus, we love each other in our families better. So let's get ourselves founded on Jesus. And let's start here. Let's come to the family table, have the family meal together. Eat his bread, drink his wine, know that he is the center of our life. Hear him say once again to all of us, I love you. And then let's go out and love each other well. Amen. Father God, Brother Jesus, we thank you for the love which from our birth over and around us lies. We thank you that even though we know our imperfections as human beings, we know that as parents and as brothers and as children, we don't love perfectly, Lord. We thank you that you do and that there's a place we can stand and a place where we can be fed where that does not move and where we have the strength to be able to love each other well. Lord, as we eat this food, give us strength to be strong and joyful children in your world. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.